Our first reading tonight is taken from the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. The offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. God is one who comes to us and he comes to purify our hearts. We'll have a moment of quiet confession, just asking God as he comes to cleanse us, to renew us, to get rid of all the stuff in our lives that shouldn't be there and to make us worthy of having him live in our hearts. Lord, as we confess our sins in silence before you, in your mercy would you forgive us. Cleanse us from our sin and purify our hearts, we pray. We have come to lift up our voices in praise and thanksgiving with the angels. We have come to worship him who is the voice of love. We've come to pray for those who have no voice of their own. We've come to worship in sincerity in song and in silence. We've come to listen to the voice of Scripture. And as we prepare to hear the Word of God, let's allow the stillness of God to settle deep within our hearts and our minds. May we be silent deep within. That we may receive as a gift the words that we need to hear and the words that we need to share. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hear the word of God from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the desert. 
he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. You don't need me to tell you that at Christmas we celebrate God's Son coming into the world. Are you ready? Well, that depends on what you mean by ready, of course. If I say that there are just 16 shopping days left till Christmas, most of us will say with an understandable degree of exasperation, no, I'm nowhere near ready. And the problem, of course, is that the more frantic we are getting ready to celebrate Christmas the harder it is to be ready, really, to welcome Jesus, which is what it's all about. When the word of God came upon John the Baptist in the wilderness, and he started to get people ready for the coming of Jesus, he did it by preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It was a call to people to sort their lives out before God. But it's not a message that is immediately or easily accessible to everyone today. When John preached, repent and be baptised for the forgiveness of your sins, or something like that, the people listening to John would have seen what he meant by getting baptised, because if you went to hear what this strange man in the desert had to say, you would have seen people being baptised by him in the River Jordan in the hundreds. And people who heard his message would have understood what he meant by such words as repent and sins because that was a deeply religious culture and such words were deeply embedded in people's consciousness. But that's not the case in post-Christian Britain today. Outside of church, outside of a gathering like this, outside the Bible, you won't hear sin mentioned as a word very often or repentance perhaps even less frequently. That doesn't make it very easy to proclaim God's word outside of a church context. If you've been brought up to understand the language, perhaps that makes it easier if you want to accept the message. If I stand with people who've been in church all their lives and say, repent and be baptised for the forgiveness of your sins, you know what I'm all about. But if I were to go into the Queen's head and say that, people wouldn't know what I was on about so much. Sometimes the very religious vocabulary we use just makes people switch to a different frequency in their minds. Our problem is that the key message, repent and be baptised for the forgiveness of your sins, and you can't get much more basic than that, that's couched in language that unchurched people, by and large, just don't understand. It's not on their wavelength. And yet the message is a vital one that everybody needs to hear. To help us, I want to look at one of the distinctive ways in which Luke records the baptism of John, if you compare his account with the three other Gospels. 
They all say that when John came preaching in the wilderness, he did so in fulfilment of a prophecy in the opening verses of Isaiah chapter 40. Those verses speak of the voice calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. But Luke elects to carry on with that quotation from Isaiah, and he includes the following words in his gospel as well. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. What Isaiah envisages is a great levelling process. What is exalted is brought down to earth. What is lowly is lifted up. What is damaged and twisted and distorted is smoothed and straightened out. And those pictures of of being brought low, of of lifting up, of, of smoothing out, they can help us understand a little bit, I think, about what is meant by that word sin. You get some people who say, I'm no good. They think of themselves as being rubbish or worthless. They may try hard to achieve something, to make something of their lives, but their experience is one of failure. And because they have a low self-esteem, they are inclined to blame themselves for everything that goes wrong and end up feeling hugely guilty about the way in which they let themselves and others down. The verdict they pass on their own life is, I'm no good. I'm not good for anything. And you might look at such people and you might talk to them and you might want to reassure them, look, it's not your fault, really. Just the victim of circumstance and, you know, what other people have done and, and underneath you're okay. But sometimes, much as you want to kind of comfort people with those words, such platitudes simply aren't true. Sometimes. Because sometimes we can be the engineers of our own destruction. To be sure, circumstances or the way other people treat us might set us on the downward path, but sometimes we don't stop. We don't turn round. We don't change direction. Sometimes, despite our natural tendency to find excuses or to blame other people, the fact remains that we are where we are now because of decisions that we've made. Sometimes it's what we have done that's brought all this upon us. And in such such cases, the sense of guilt is not just an expression of low self-esteem. It is a realistic and appropriate response to what a mess I've made of my life. I've screwed things up. What damage I've inflicted on other people. What problems I've caused in my relationships. But whether the guilt we feel is real and appropriate because of what we've done, or whether it's guilt that we feel just because of the way other people have treated us, these are the people who are in the depths. These are the people whom God wants to lift up, the valleys that need to be filled in, the people that lifted up through the message of forgiveness and salvation that's part of the gospel. And while there are many people who say, I'm no good, and they're in the depths because of decisions they've made, 
There are many people who say, I'm no good and are in the depths because other people have put them there. And if some people say, I'm no good, often that's because someone else has said to them in the past, you're no good. You'll never amount to anything. Who do you think you are? You're a waste of space, waste of time, rubbish. You can't achieve anything of value. And sometimes people say those words out loud, sometimes deliberately to hurt, sometimes just an exasperation. Sometimes they don't say the words out loud, but they find ways of communicating it in a thousand non-verbal ways. Because there are some people who make themselves feel good by putting other people down. Who denigrate other people as a way of lifting their own self-esteem. The more I can look down on other people, the better I feel about myself. And the worse I can make them seem in my eyes, the better I am by comparison with them. These are people whose sense of security increases the more they look down on others from a vantage point of real or imagined superiority. And they don't build relationships with other people unless they can see some way of turning that relationship to their own advantage. And that attitude of putting other people down, the attitude of saying, you're no good, that's part of what the Bible is talking about when it talks about sin. Those who cause damage to other people's lives. Those who harm those around them. And these people, these people are like the mountains and hills that need to be brought down to earth. Leveled out. Recognise they're not better than other people. We're all in the same boat when it comes to our sinfulness. So we have two classes of people, each of whom is represented by the valleys and the mountains. In Isaiah's prophecy, there are the lowly people who feel bad about themselves and say, I'm no good. There are the exalted people who feel good about themselves because they make other people feel bad about themselves by saying, you're no good. And there's a third class of people who simply say, it's no good. These are people who try really hard, do their best, but just find, oh, it's no good. I can't do it. I can't manage. I can't cope. Life is too hard. It's not working. Everything's too crooked and twisted and distorted. It's like trying to ride a bicycle with a buckled wheel. Or they feel that the surface of their life, instead of being flat and smooth and good to look at, it's... It's scored and it's scarred with jagged edges and a, a really abrasive surface that hurts them and those around them. Those are the people who need to hear John's message about the crooked being straightened out. The rough places made a plain. The jagged edges being made smooth. So where the language of sin can shortchange us because we don't know what it's about... The, the visual images that Isaiah uses and, and, and Luke uses about John, they give us an insight into how it works. The visual representation of mountains, those proud people who look down on others being brought low. The valleys, the people who feel that they're nobodies being lifted up. The rough places, people whose lives have been damaged and distorted and twisted being made a level, smooth plain. That gives us an insight to the kind of people John is talking about. Because the message of forgiveness, the message of salvation is for people who say, I'm no good. Or people who've said to others, you're no good. 
or people feel it's no good, I can't cope. For all such people, the gospel of Jesus Christ really and literally is good news. For all such people, John prepares the way by preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What's this repentance word all about then? The word repentance literally means a change of mind. And a mindset has been defined as a set of beliefs or a way of thinking that determines our behaviour, our outlook or our mental attitude. And when we get in a certain mindset, you've got used to saying to yourself over and over and over, I'm no good. And you can't see anything but that truth about yourself. That, that's, that's how you sum up who you are. It's the mindset that you have, I'm no good. Or it's the mindset that you have that, you know, you're no good. You're used, so used to actually kind of putting other people down. It's just a way. It starts as something you choose to do, something you end up doing just a habit. It becomes part of your character, part of your nature. Or those who say, it's no good. You know, I've always failed. Never succeeded. I've never managed to do what I set out to do. The thing about a mindset is it's very difficult to change. And it develops into a way of thinking over which we lose control. And that also is a factor in how sin works. It robs us of control over our own lives. It enslaves us to destructive patterns of thinking and behaviour. To quote Rudolf Bultmann, the 20th century theologian, neither man nor mankind can become free from the past by their own self-will. On the contrary, they bring the past with them into every present. However, because sin is guilt before God, there is also the possibility that God will free man from the past, that man will become new. It's a powerful picture that we bring our past with us into every present. You can't, you can't leave it behind, you can't let it go. Everywhere you go, it kind of follows after you, drag it behind you. Forgiveness is what cuts the chain. Forgiveness is what releases us from the past. Forgiveness is what sets us free. Forgiveness is God's gift. And alongside that forgiveness is repentance. And repentance is a change of mindset that is enabled by God. And that's part of Luke's distinctive contribution to our understanding of what it means to be saved. Because for Luke, repentance is not about saying, oh, I'm really sorry, I wish I'd never done that, I wish I could go back and sort it out, you know, going over and over and over, regretting the past. Nor is it a matter of of trying our best to be different and lead a better way of life. For Luke, repentance is God's gift to us through Jesus. It's part of the package of salvation. And it's a change of mind. Where we can't change the way we think, God is able to bring about that change in our mental attitude. To release us from the past. And to bring about a whole new self-understanding that can liberate us from controlling thought patterns that say, I'm no good, or you're no good, or it's no good. That mindset that we can't change, God can. And his gift of repentance 
through the Holy Spirit, is able to transform our thinking about ourselves and other people and our past and who we are and what we do. God gives his gift of repentance to transform our thinking and bring us forgiveness. A forgiveness which brings us from bondage to freedom, from anxiety to joy, and from disobedience to obedience. So change of mind. And all that is wrapped up in John's message of a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Sins are the attitudes. Forgiveness sets us free. Repentance changes our mind. And all that is wrapped up in baptism, which expresses a crying out to God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, to liberate us from our past mindset and enable us to recognise that our sense of failure is not all there is to us. God can set us free from a way of thinking that is destructive. We don't need to be comparing ourselves with other people all the time. Our lives are not beyond redemption. Salvation is about God bringing us to a place of security, a place of forgiveness, a place of acceptance, a place of new life. And we find that place when we stop looking at ourselves, when we stop looking around at other people, when we stop looking at our past failures, and we start looking at Jesus and appealing to him for the gift of repentance and forgiveness that he has made available to us and for which John prepared the way through his proclamation of a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If we get baptised, what does that mean? Francois Bourbon puts it this way, and he does so rather well. Baptism seals a personal decision to accept that one's entire past life is under God's judgment and to wait solely for his forgiveness. Baptism expresses the decision to orientate our entire lives around God rather than around ourselves. It's one of the reasons why we do baptism by total immersion here. It is, you know, everything, all of me, given over to God. My past, my character, my failures, my mindset, my relationships, everything goes in, offered to God. God accepts it all with all the mess that's there and gives us his forgiveness, his repentance, his new life. And that can make a huge difference to who we are and to how we live. I subscribe to the magazine Third Way. November's edition uh, contains an article by a guy called Martin Smith who's just been awarded a doctorate for a thesis on divine violence. But he talks about his story started out in the 1980s as a poorly educated, disenfranchised, occult-intrigued teenager who was into football hooliganism. He went to prison for 10 months for slashing a man's face with a razor blade. But he says, on the 11th of May 1988, at about 4am, everything I'd ever known was challenged and everything I'd ever been was changed. That night I'd been given the opportunity of collecting debts for a local drug dealer, And I was thrilled at the chance of taking what I saw as such an exciting and violent job. The evening took an unexpected turn, however, when in the midst of the most worldly of circumstances, I had the most otherworldly of experiences. To this day, I find it impossible 
to adequately express what occurred that night. Yet what I do know is that God spoke gently in my innermost being, whispering his love to me in the very darkest and least deserving of hours. Extraordinarily, I responded positively. And so it was in the, in the middle of the road with another drug dealer, I literally called out aloud to God, asking for his forgiveness. My companion was physically transfixed, so I took my chance to run free, tears streaming down my face in wonderment at God's mercy. He says, the second half of my life has been entirely dedicated to Jesus Christ. And though there have undoubtedly been low points, the reality of his being has given me a purpose, drive, and sense of direction that were previously missing. And so the boy who left the Sink Secondary School with one O-level has had a doctorate conferred on him this summer. I'm proud of this and grateful to God for his ongoing renewing of my mind. Those words, the second half of my life has been entirely dedicated to Jesus Christ. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Release from the past, renewed mind, dedication to Christ. That's what it's all about. That's the difference it can make. No one is beyond salvation. No one is beyond forgiveness. There is no one whose life is beyond redemption. So let me invite you for a moment to search your soul. Do you sometimes find yourself saying to yourself, I'm no good? Or saying to others, you're no good? Or thinking about your life, it's no good. Just recognise and accept that these destructive thought patterns are not God's script for your life. Because through Jesus Christ, God offers you a new self-understanding through his saving, life-changing gifts of repentance and forgiveness. Release a new mindset, dedication to him in baptism. And while it's at Christmas that we celebrate Jesus coming into the world to be our saviour, you don't need to wait till Christmas to accept him as your saviour. You can do that right now by praying, Lord Jesus Christ, I want to change. I know I need to change. But I can't change myself. Come into my life as my Lord and make me a different person. Forgive me and release me from what is past. Change my way of thinking. And help me from this day forward to dedicate my life to you. Amen. And if you've prayed that prayer, or that kind of prayer for the first time, that can mark a turning point in your life. And if you've done that for the first time, three things you need to do. Tell somebody else, I prayed that prayer. And if you're listening to this and you don't go to church, make a decision to go to church this Christmas time and talk to people in that church about getting baptised. It's a sign of your repentance, a sign of God's forgiveness, a sign of your commitment to and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour and of his coming into your life by his Spirit to assure you that 
no matter what you might have said or done about yourself, no matter what other people might have said or done or said to you, you are God's beloved child. And with Jesus Christ in your heart, he can make your life good. Tell somebody else. Find a church. Consider getting baptised. Three things God calls you to do. He means business with you if you're ready to do business with him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that there is nothing in our past that cannot be forgiven. Thank you for the liberating power of your forgiveness. That our future does not have to be determined by our past failures. Thank you that by your spirit you can change the way we think about ourselves and other people. Would you do that? Change our mindset. Thank you that you take all comers without distinction. But you do call us all to dedicate our lives to you. Give us the courage to do that. To orientate our lives around you rather than ourselves because you are our creator, our saviour and our God. Thank you for your gift of forgiveness for your gift of repentance, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Saviour and our Lord this Christmas time. Help us to live for him. For in his name we ask it. Amen.